The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Chuck, it's uh, three o'clock on Tuesday. We're recording uh, this podcast, The Counter, here. I want to know if you think Urban Meyer is going to survive. Uh, generally, it takes us an hour to record the show, uh, somewhere around there. You think he's going to make it? I think he is, but it's kind of funny because uh, you know, before the season, I asked uh, you know my buddy Spencer Hall, who does just incredible work. Uh, he went to Florida, big time Florida fan. I asked him, you know, over under. 34 games. How many games does Urban Meyer coach as a Jack of Ours coach? <laughs> Underneath the new rules, uh, the new schedule, 34 games will get you to exactly two seasons. Right. And he said under, definitely under. Yeah. And we are four games into the Urban Meyer regime. And <laughs> so, you know, based on the over under that I said with Spencer before, you know, 30 games to go. And it definitely looks like we're, uh, we're head towards the end. I don't know. If uh, we're going to see the end, uh, you know, before game five, but the fact that like we're already here and like they have very credible reasons to fire him is just breathtaking and also just like a huge told you so like right what are you guys doing here uh yeah it, it's a it's a complete disaster yeah yeah it's both I mean that's the crazy thing about it it's both at the same time right like the fact that everyone wrote like I wrote probably five columns like you're you do not want your NFL team to hire Urban Meyer and here's why and then I wrote it again like a week later and then I wrote it again a week later and like I'm not like I don't have some great insight here like it's a very standardly held opinion that Urban Meyer makes messes wherever he goes but like the fact that he got another chance he got Trevor Lawrence delivered to him and like had this opportunity clearly uh, the Khan family that owns the Jaguars like turned it over to him. Basically, gave him all the power. He got everything anybody in the NFL wants. Like he, like that's it's all there in a platter. And he still goes and messes it up. Uh, not you know four weeks, not even, not even a fourth of the way into the season. Uh, the way the math works out now, it's just like shocking. Uh, but we'll get into that. We're gonna. That's uh, that's one of your. Uh, a rare, uh, serious note in the Forverts column. Generally, the Forverts is pretty jovial place on the internet, uh, but you, um, you know, you took a serious look at it. So we'll we'll talk that through. The other uh, observations uh, that you made here: the the Texans' offense just being uh, supremely terrible. Uh, Cordell Patterson emerging. How about that? That's a, that's yeah. like that's a nice little story. I think Tavon Austin got some run this week too. There's like some guys who used to be good who are who are uh, making plays. That's always fun to see. Uh, and and then one final thing uh, on the rookie quarterbacks. Uh, Zach Wilson sort of grew up a little bit um, late in his game this this week and. Um, the other the other rookies are all they're making they're taking steps you know you can see where they're evolving so we'll go through that uh, the forwards column and then we'll talk uh, about the week it was uh, an exciting week in the NFL sort of like we expected uh, I feel like we learned a lot uh, a lot about the NFC West uh, which remains pretty interesting you know with Seattle and and the 49ers are sort of like one week they're one team <laughs> the next week not really sure what you're going to get uh the afc west is also super uh, exciting this year um the ravens emerged and and from that game that we had highlighted uh playing denver uh we you know we were pretty excited to to see whether 
the Ravens offense could handle the, the Denver defense and, and it found a way. Um, uh, a couple other games that stood out, the the Cowboys, um, you know, they look like a real contender, especially with, uh, you know, Tampa Bay, you know, I, I don't want to say struggling against the Patriots, but uh, certainly that secondary is a problem. So there's a lot going on in the league that I think we're excited to dig in on and, and talk about. And it just feels like we're really starting to get a hold of what this season's going to look like and, and who the teams to watch are. Uh, but let's let's go to the Urban Meyer thing first. I mean, uh, for anyone who didn't follow it, uh, you know, Charles does have it. The, the four verse column, I don't know, it's it's in editing now, so it'll be. Posted any second over at ftw.usatoday.com. The headline uh, that we've got working now is Urban Meyer isn't cut out for the NFL and the, and the Texans' incredible flop. Uh, Urban Meyer, they, the, the, the Jags played Thursday night uh, in Ohio, lose to the Bengals. Apparently, Urban Meyer decides to stay behind under the guise that he wants to see his grandkids. Um. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, you know, let's let's just start right here. Right. Like, uh, you know, uh, uh, NFL players have kind of said, like, that's insane. I've never heard of a coach doing that. And like that again, like this is what Urban Meyer does. That is so disgusting. Right. He is using his grandkids as a prop here. Right. Like Urban Meyer is not like you or I. Right. Like he does not need to like, oh, I happen to be in Ohio and it was the only chance I was going to get to see my grandkids. Like the dude has all the money. He can he can fly his grandkids in whenever he wants. He can go visit them during the off seasons whenever he wants. He probably he could live there in the off season for some of it. You know, like yeah. this dude has all sorts of means. He can do it like this. And then he ends up at a bar instead where he is uh, there's video of him with a young woman dancing in his lap and his hand is precariously placed. And that was the joke for like a few minutes. Like why, what is his hand doing? And then a video emerged of his hand and his hand is groping this woman. Um, And, and so urban Meyer has to come out and he gives this awful, you know, the, we've seen the Urban Meyer apology face like a hundred times, and he has never learned how to apologize. He can't just say, I'm sorry. Like, he just. He can't even look at the camera. Right. He can't look at the camera. And he brings up, like, oh, Trevor Lawrence had a bachelor party. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you bringing up Trevor Lawrence having a bachelor party? Like, this is nothing. He, he tried to make himself into the victim that he, he was, tr- they were trying to lure him out to the dance floor. And uh, I mean, just this guy, man. I, uh, I, I, just, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe that this is this dude is still getting chances. It's like you like we you can't believe you're here, but you also like totally can right. <laughs> at the same time. Like that's kind of the guy that uh, Urban Meyer has become. Where man, like the, the thing that got to me at first was in that press conference. The first one he had, like throwing Trevor Lawrence under the bus, was so weak. Uh, because he has nothing to do with this. Like you got caught into a bad situation and then, you know, you come out to the press and say like, what, what we all knew at the time was a lie. Like people were trying to get you to come out into the grant on the dance floor. It's like you, you, you throw your grandkids in Trevor Lawrence under the bus. And then right. uh, after that happens, uh, you know, we get the second video of you, you know, groping this girl, uh, and I guess lucky for Urban, based on you know some of her Snapchat, she you know didn't seem to take 
as much offense to it as, uh, you know, as, as the rest of us, but, uh, you know, you, you come out with the first statement, then the video comes out and then Shah Khan has to put out a statement today saying like, you know, urban has to regain his trust, but you know, he's only done things that kind of make you distrust him throughout this whole regime, which is only what we're, we're at the start of October. So like, We've had nine full months of this, and there have been so many incidences where, you know, I wrote about in the column where you're kind of just like spray firing and, and you know, getting distrust at basically every angle of this operation that you possibly could, where it starts off where you hire Chris Doyle. And, you know, I didn't write too, too much in depth about this, but another thing with the Chris Doyle hire was, I don't know if you remember this, but on the day that it was announced, they have this whole thread of all the Jaguars, you know, offensive right. quarter, defensive quarter, all their assistant coaches. And then they tried to sneak in Chris Doyle without much of a thing, like right in the middle of the thread. Right. Like, hold they, on. They like, know. They know. Right. Right. Which means like, you know, like what, what you're doing here. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Chris Doyle used to be the strength coach at Iowa up until like last summer uh, when he was, you know, they, you know, quote unquote separated because of, pretty credible accusations of racism and, and a lot of, uh, you know, it's instances where players have been overworked to the point of uh, needing medical care. And Urban decides that this is a guy that he needs to hire just because it's his buddy. So, right. you know, within just a couple of weeks of being on the job, you have already kind of uh, slapped your black players in the face and, put them in danger a little bit by uh, hiring this guy with a bad track record. He resigns after one day. So, you know, like they're already on the train of like, Hey, well, we know what we're doing here is bad uh, and, and not productive to uh, a winning environment. Then, you know, you have the Tebow crap that happens later that summer where they sign him. He goes out into the preseason game and just looks absolutely terrible. Like he doesn't belong because he doesn't belong. Uh, it had been six years since he had played like for a preseason, uh, you know, the part of a preseason or practice squad uh, member, and he had never played tight end before. So I don't know why Urban thought that this guy who was in his mid thirties was just going to step out right. onto the field and be able to compete uh, at an NFL level. So like, kind of disrespecting like what these guys do and what these guys put themselves through every single day, and then you have this situation. So, I mean, there's no way that you can look at this and say, you know, the Jaguars trust Urban Meyer, Jaguars players respect him because basically all that we're seeing out of Jaguars camp with the Mike Silver threat today, with right. other reports uh, during preseason saying that he's melting down, exploding people over preseason losses, which, you know, as we can see, don't really hold any weight or correlation over the regular season. I mean, if you just want to look at Jamar Chase, he couldn't catch a thing in the preseason. Now he looks like he might be a pro bowler this year. So, uh, you know, just being not being able to control himself, very impulsive. And we know that the impulses that Urban does have are usually detrimental to himself and everyone around him. So, right. you know, I, I think when, you know, guys like Dan Orlovsky and Marcus Spears, they get on TV yesterday and they say, right. I don't know how Urban Meyer can come back into the, the locker room and he probably needs to be fired. Like, I don't really know how you can disagree with that unless you're just like a nutty Buckeyes fan or Gators fan, or you just have no idea how this stuff works in the NFL because you can get away with it in college when the kids don't have any real power right. and they are really, you know, reliant on you 
to make their dreams come true or to provide for their family or just to get a degree. But when it gets to NFL players who have their own money and their own agency, they can just kind of say, this guy is nuts and I don't have to deal with this if I don't want to. Right. And I think that that's some of the, the pushback he's going to see in that locker room over the next few weeks. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I feel like we've been clear about that dynamic on this show, but I just want to state it again that college athletes uh, and it's it's getting better due to a lot of the changes uh, in the NIL and uh, the, the National Labor Relations Board declared last week that uh, that athletes are basically that they're employees and they could uh, they could form a union if they wanted to and, and have a collective bar. Like a, a lot of this is changing. But the status quo for a long time was that those players were essentially indentured servants, right? Like they had to put in the time. They had to listen to everything the coach said. They had to do everything the coach said. Whatever the coach said was gospel. And uh, there's always this debate about like, why do college coaches not work in the NFL? And the underlying thing is that dudes who've made it out of that, the players who made it from college and made it to the NFL and finally got that that freedom, got that agency, got that ability to like make money, have agents who could fight for them, be part of the players union that could fight for them. They don't want to go back to having to listen to a guy like Urban Meyer who thinks everything he says is right, who thinks that he can can be caught with his finger where it was caught and say, oh, yeah, she was trying to get me to dance and that people will buy that because that's what happens in college, right? In college, in a college town, even like Columbus, Ohio, like Urban Meyer can get away with saying that stuff, right? Like, and this happens. I was a small town college beat writer, like coaches went to bars and did dumb stuff. And a lot of it got covered up because that those teams are important to those college towns. Like they, they, they put sports ahead of, of doing what's right sometimes. Like that's what happens. Uh, but NFL players don't want any of that, right? They don't want to be thrust back in that situation where they, even if that guy is Nick Saban, right? And like Nick Saban wasn't quite Nick, the Nick Saban that we know now, the, 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 the really esteemed coach, but he was a, 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 you know, a successful coach and NFL players wanted no part of that, right? Like they just don't want to be back in a situation where that's sort of how the, how the coach succeeded was that he had the ultimate power before uh, they don't want to be in that situation. And now urban Meyer, not only, you know, so he comes in with that reputation, but then he is just doing all these things. He's doing nothing to correct it, right? Like he he took no steps to try to wash that away and say, guys, look, I want to be, uh, you know, I want this to be different. I want to treat you with respect. I want to like all these things, the things that you enumerated, the, the bringing in Chris Doyle, bringing in Team Tebow. These are just, they all smacked of him. Like, I'm the guy in charge. I do what I want. It doesn't matter what you think. You don't have a vote. Uh, and it's, I think it's, it's just awful. Uh, and um, you, you referenced the Michael Silver uh, thread and he said uh, that the, the funny thing is that apparently Meyer was supposed to have a team meeting and then he instead decided to have individual group meetings with the positions. And the player said, we looked at him like what WTF right when he left, everyone started dying laughing and he knew it. So, I mean, this guy's just, he's lost it, right? Like how, how does he continue to coach? Yeah, it, it, even just like from a logistical perspective, you know, by Tuesday, like you've basically put in your game plan for the next 
game. Uh, right. And, and he now, canceled a bunch of meetings on a Monday. Like he had to cancel right. a bunch. Like right. they should have a jump start because they had a Thursday night game. Like this is an important week for them where they should have been doing a whole ton of shit to get prepared. This is an 0-4 football team with the number one pick, the, the most ballyhooed quarterback in a long time. They should have been doing all sorts of work to get better, and it, it didn't happen. And also, to get, just coming up on this next game, like think about the opportunity they, that they could squander coming up because you're playing a Thursday night game. You're playing against a division rival who is missing their top two receivers. And, I, and right. you know, from what I'm reading, it looks like A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are going to miss uh, this next game against the Jaguars, a game that a team that just lost to the Jets on Sunday. So, like, this is a very beatable opponent. And you have spent half your time, you know, from Thursday to Sunday, it's about a 10 day stretch where you can kind of get ready for this game. You spent a few days in Columbus, you know, <laughs> dealing, doing this. You get caught, and now you have to spend, you have to dedicate a few more days in, to getting out of this. By Thursday of a 10 day break, like, you should have this game plan ready to go, and you're you're spending the rest of the week in practice getting ready to go for this game that is totally winnable for basically any team in the NFL. Because you know, as we saw last week, the Titans' their offensive line is not great. When they don't have AJ Brown and Julio Jones, you know, you can force them to mistakes. And now you spent half of your time dealing with this dumb mess that you didn't even have to deal with right. in the first place. If you just got back on the plane. And went home with them like every other coach in the NFL does. So, you know, I don't think that Urban's cut out for this. I never really have. And it's just so embarrassing that after four games, people are like, it's time to pull the plug on this. And, you know, luckily for him, I I was doing some research research last night and talking to people. Uh, His contract status is pretty secret. Like, you can't find really any details on it on right. the internet outside of the fact that he wanted more than $12 million per year. So I'm, it, you know, this is just a totally like uneducated guess, but I'm guessing that there has to be some protections for him and the Jaguars if they want to get out of this uh, pretty early. And at this point, like I'd kind of be surprised if he uh, makes it to the end of the season. But I, you know, I was also talking to uh, just some, some buddies that are Jaguars fans and they seem to think that, you know, you get to the end of the season, then you part ways because like, if they, if this continues to go, how it's looking and they end up like one in 16 or two in 15, three and 14. You can't really bring them back after all that's happened so far. But, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, like that, that is the thing, right? Like college contracts, uh, especially at public schools are easy to get. You can make a, make a public records request and you can see how much the buyout is and whether there are any clauses, like a lot of college clauses, uh, college contracts have clauses for, like you cannot embarrass the school. I don't, you know, we don't know if if Urban Myers has that. If if the Jaguars could get out of this for cause, or what what the buyout would be, you know, how much of the contract they'd have to pay out. But like, if I'm Shad Khan, I'm I I don't know. I I think I'm making the call today, and then I'm on the phone with Joe Brady or somebody, and just saying like, come on down, hire whoever you want, like sweep the thing. Out. Like I, what are you waiting for? You know, like you 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 gain absolutely nothing. Like yeah, but of course he's the guy who hired. Meyer in the first, like I wouldn't have hired Urban Meyer in the first place. Right. So uh, he's, you know, a, it's all a mess, right? Like if you, if you, uh, a lot of rich dudes just think that they, they can make it work where other people couldn't, or that they understand it better than everybody else. So uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's a mess, man. And it's I, honestly like, and we we've said this before, but we're all losing because Trevor Lawrence is this just surreal quarterback prospect who's 
stuck in this mess, you know, he's mired in the urban mire, you know, just, I mean, nothing about it is working, right? <laughs> like the offense yeah. doesn't look good. I mean, just the culture, uh, you know, and, and that's what, what makes it so gross too, is that urban Meyer builds his whole, like his public persona. Like if he ends up back on TV after this, cause he went on TV and I think last year it was, uh, he was saying like, you know, the, the keys to a team, uh, struggling teams, what you have to examine trust issues, dysfunctional environment and selfishness. Like this guy is out there. I mean, he taught like a leadership class at Ohio state. Like his whole thing is that he's supposed to understand this. And then he's just a complete hypocrite. Uh, just, and it's, it's awful. Yeah. Man. Uh, yeah. What's that? Let's wish you something happier. (laughs) Uh, Not not the Texans offense. Let's go to Cordero Patterson, man, because I love this story. It's fun. Uh, It's the only fun thing about the Falcons this year so far where, you know, I feel like for a lot of years and I I don't know if this is like just college fans or even just players like Madden players, like because Cordero Patterson has always been someone kind of fun, like on Madden, if you just switch him around and, and get him in space. Like he just breaks a ton of tackles and big and fast. And uh, I, I just kind of find it funny that through all these years, you know, teams have kind of gone half in half out with right. uh, trying to build a role for him in their offense. And uh, I guess kind of due to necessity, <laughs> the Falcons have just been like, all right, well, we don't have much. <laughs> You're get- the guy. Let's get Cordell in here on a cheap, cheap, cheap deal and see what we can do. And so far, like he's he's been their best playmaker, which is bad in a way because you spent uh, a, f- a fourth overall pick on Kyle Pitts, who <laughs> I think even when he like when he gets the ball, he looks as good as advertised and should get more targets. And uh, Calvin Ridley, who was one of the best receivers in the NFL last year, uh, Cordell Patterson has been the guy for uh, this offense, offense, which is not good. Uh, in a way, but it's also great for people who just like to watch, you know, big, super talented guys carry the ball. And uh, I, I didn't see this coming. I don't know how many people saw this coming, but you know, it, it just is like, you know, we've seen this guy for years, whether it's kickoff returns or screen passes, even like the bears got a little bit right uh, uh, creative with him over the years, but we haven't really seen, a team have to go all in on the Cordell Patterson experience and Sunday's game against the, uh, against Washington was just a joy to watch. If you're someone who likes watching Cordell Patterson do insane things on the football field where, you know, he has the, he scores three touchdowns. The first one, uh, which was kind of coverage bust, but you know, he gets behind the defense and scores the second one, which is, uh, something we've seen do a couple times this season, which is, you know, catch a dump off pass, make a guy miss, and then just bulldoze his way into the end zone. And then the third one was like almost a, a fade that he just kind of out-muscled and made a great play at the catch point on. And it just makes you remember like, oh, man, like athletically, this guy is one of the most talented players in the entire league. But, you know, for, for whatever reasons, whether it's being miscast or teams trying to go all in on him being a, run, a, a wide receiver when he's more of like just a guy you just want to do whatever with, uh, he hasn't really had that breakout year, and it's just fun to see, you know, you know, again, due to necessity because they didn't really have a lot of options to upgrade the offense. But, you know, this guy is like a legitimate offensive weapon that you can use. And I think that 
it's kind of gone from meme territory at the beginning where you were like, oh man, like the Falcons are dedicating a lot of touches to Cordero Patterson to, hey, like this is a guy you actually want to touch the ball a few times per game, whether it's, uh, you know, catching the ball, running the ball in the backfield, getting it on kick returns. I mean, he, he really, really is a special talent. And I, I, I'm just excited to see uh, how this role expands over the rest of the year. But hopefully they can also get Kyle Pitts and Calvin really involved. Yeah, That'd yeah, they fun. did. They did target those guys a little bit more this week, but it just wasn't really working. And and Patterson's just. Are there other like? Are there other players? I'm trying to think through history. It's kind of like Devin Hester a little bit, but yeah, it wasn't used like this. Yeah, I think uh, that, there's probably just guys who like coaches weren't creative and like and it's hard. You have to take the leap, like like you said, like really the Falcon. It's not like the Falcons are doing this because they figured it out. Like they're doing it out of necessity. Like you said, <laughs> uh, like their cap situation's bad and, and nothing else is working. So they sort of reverted to this and it's, it's worked out. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is really fun. And you have some yeah. good clips in here. Yeah. And uh, even uh, this week I had to, I had to start Cordero in, in fantasy, you know? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was uh, very, very pleased with, with the outcome. Uh, and I, I don't know. It's to me, it's just kind of like you just have like this big Madden player, and you're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And they found like, hey, get in the ball in space for the most part, and just get the hell out of his way. Because even you know he had the three touchdown game last week, or you know on Sunday against Washington. Even last week versus the Giants, made some plays. Versus the Eagles in their blowout loss, he made some plays. And you just kind of see week after week after week. Okay you know, we can work with this. And I just kind of find it surprising that it took to him being almost 30 years old before a team was able to commit in this way and get him touches on offense. Because uh, I I think one cool thing about Cordell and the way he's going to age is that he doesn't have like many miles on his body in terms of hits taken on offense, because, you know, whether it was started his, his started his career as a receiver and team just kind of got frustrated because he couldn't get like the, the nuances of route running down. Uh, or just you know, kind of being relegated to a kick return. He hasn't taken as many hits as guys that you expect going into this part of his career. And you see it like when he's able to just explode through guys at the goal line, break tackles, make guys miss. I mean, he's really just an athletic phenom. And I, uh, you know, it, it's been fun to watch. And I guess if you're going to be a really bad team, at least have one <laughs> fun to watch. You know, minus fifty in point differential. This is for you, yeah. Chuck. This is this just, yeah. This is for me because I, I said going to the season. I don't really care about wins and losses <laughs> because they're not going to win a lot. They're not going to do a, a whole lot of good things. But if you can just get me one fun player, like if we can get me one fun player to score some touchdowns, I thought that was going to be Kyle Pitts, but apparently it's Cordero Patterson. And I, I guess go. I have to embrace that. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's talk about this Texans offense. Just, uh, I mean, we knew this offense would be bad. Uh, then Tyrod made it look better than we thought. And now they, they got Davis Mills playing and it's, just impressively awful 9.1 yards per drive 2.6 yards per play uh one third down conversion on nine attempts six first downs in the day five turnovers only 42 total plays run on 12 drives uh davis mills the his quarterback rating was (laughs) 0.8 and his passer rating was 23.4 uh that's that's some bad 50 42 total plays that's like I think I've covered high school games with many more plays than that, like yeah, in, in 10 minute quarters or whatever. Like, I, I mean, like, your, your punter's getting a, a workout uh, <laughs> at that point. The punter punted five times, which, you know, honestly not as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. 
Well, they I'll, turned it over five times too. So. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a, that's a great point. And then also they had <laughs> they had the drive where uh, you know they, they like Josh Allen threw a horrendous interception and right. they get the ball. I want to say like within the thirty yard line. Like at minimum, you're expecting three points, mm-hmm. and then they get nothing out of the drive because they went for it on fourth down. And then Davis Mills threw like <laughs> they, they were like a little bootleg to 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 David Johnson, and as uh, Davis Mills is like coming around, coming out of the pocket. There's a Bills defender in his face, and he he doesn't even throw it high enough to get the ball over the Bills defender. They just bat it down on fourth down, and you're like, oh man, that was their one chance to get points on the board, and they didn't even get close the rest of the game. You know, I know you, you, you just you just uh, put out the QBR number point eight, which is you know scored out of a hundred, uh, and you basically if you're not familiar with with ESPN's QBR rating. Uh, the way that it works and the way that you should think about it is the number represents that if this quarterback had the same performance with an average supporting cast, this right. number is their percent chance to win the game. Right. So if you took Davis's Mills performance from Sunday and put it with an average average supporting cast, they're winning that game 0.8% of the time. Not even not even one percent of the time. So he had eighty seven yards, twenty one attempts, four interceptions, three sacks uh, for twenty six yards. You know, as bad as Justin Fields' game was against uh, the Browns last Sunday, where they had one net passing yards, this game graded out as worse than that. So, you know, we're talking like all time bad stuff. And you know, even Aaron Schatz for Football Outsiders, uh, he added to it by saying that the Bills' defensive DVOA in that game is basically the, the the best mark that he's ever measured for a single game of football, uh, which is impressive considering I think his database goes back to like the 1970 merger or yeah. uh, around that time. So, you know, we're talking all-time incompetence here for the Texans. And, man, it's just like, you know, you thought you had something going maybe with Tyrod starting and now – you're you're back to being as bad as you, we thought you were going to be, but this level of incompetence—it's like almost watching a, like a, a college team go against uh, an NFL team. Because like when I imagine what a college team going against an NFL team on offense would look like, uh, you know, I don't know if you get six first downs because that still be pretty tough to come by. But you know, nine yards per drive, two yards per play, five five turnovers. Like you're barely even holding the ball. Uh, you know that that's not a great spot to be in, and, and if you just think about how many plays they ran in that game, they had you know forty two plays on twelve drives. Like you're barely even getting to four plays per drive. So you know these turnovers are happening really early in the drive where they're punting after three and outs. It's just a complete embarrassment. I I, I kind of like that the head coach David Culley after the game, uh, he was just. Up front and honest about it. We got our butts kicked, and you sure did, and you got 14 more games to play, or 13, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, that is just uh, – We get the Patriots defense next week. That's going to be uh, yeah. fun. I, I don't think Davis Mills is going to have answers for Bill Belichick, uh, considering Tom Brady barely found answers. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be – an incredibly long season. Uh, the the other the rookie quarterbacks that we all care about, uh, <laughs> I think didn't Stephen dub uh, Davis Mills a psyop operator? Like he like he does. I'm I don't even know if he believes that Davis Mills actually exists. Uh, but 
the guys that actually matter, the the ones picked in the first round, you saw sort of a collective step forward this week. Uh, we can talk about their individual performances when we get to their games. Uh, you know, Zach Wilson really like late against the Titans. He was probably the most impressive just because his team was in position where he made plays. I think he had two two fourth quarter touchdowns and then led the drive in overtime to set up the the game winning kick. Uh, you know, just looked like the guy that they thought they were drafting. And, and I think there were flashes from the other guys from Lawrence Fields and Jones as well, uh, just all around that they're, they're finally getting it. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, we, we finally saw them put together like performances that we saw in the preseason. Uh, right. Wilson was a little shaky to start the game, but by the end of the game, I mean, he was on fire. Uh, unfortunately I live in New York city, so we only get Jets and Giants games for the most part up here. So uh, I've watched most of the Jets games, and you know this was by far his best performance. And uh, he looked, you know, like the number two pick. And I think that that's what Robert Sala said last week. He's going to have a performance like that, and uh, he did it. And I think for a Jets fans, it's it's good to see that he can take advantage of the performance he's supposed to. And uh, you know, for Bears fans, I mean, some of those throws that Justin Fields is making downfield. Oh my gosh, man! Unbelievable. And his I think arm, his still, arm is just insane. It's insane. And the fact that Matt Nagy is just going to come out and say, "Yeah, when Andy's healthy, <laughs> he's a starter." I don't. I don't really understand what's going on there, unless it's just like, you know, Matt Nagy trying to hold on to the last little vestiges of power that he has left. Uh, but. It's just really embarrassing what's going on in Chicago right now. I mean, you have Andy, – Andy Dalton is not making those throws that Justin Fields right, made right. On, on Sunday. And, it, and even if you have to deal with some, you know, inconsistency with Fields, he's a, he's a rookie quarterback, and that's what's going to happen. So I say, you know, I, I wrote about it last week, but it's better just to roll with those lumps. But I guess Matt Nagy doesn't see it the same way. And Trevor, Trevor, buddy, just keep your head up, man. <laughs> I was watching that Don't, game. I, I was watching that game last week with my buddy Richard Johnson. He came over to watch it, and you know, you saw the things you want to see from Trevor. Uh, even if he didn't throw a passing touchdown, we all saw the throws he was making. Right. Uh, the ability on the goal line, or you know, outside of the one where he got stonewalled when they tried to run him up the middle against like the three hundred pound defensive tackle, but. You know, you live and you learn uh, for everybody except Urban Meyer. And hopefully, <laughs> you know, hopefully the Jaguars can get this point and turn this thing around because they have, they have they have a quarterback that that's just almost too talented to fail unless you just surround him by extreme, extreme incompetence. Trevor Lawrence should just continue making the same mistake over and over and just be like, what, coach? What? What? What do you mean I'm supposed to learn? What do you mean? What do you mean? I'm just going to keep doing it. Just 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 to enjoy himself. In hopefully his only season dealing with this. Uh, all right, let's let's go into the games. Uh, and I think it's interesting that we're starting with the Monday night game. The Chargers uh, beat the Raiders 28-14. And like to me, this game was just Justin Herbert having like insane arm talent and being able to push the ball all over the field, which is what Justin Fields has and Trevor Lawrence obviously has. But like feel like the fact that Fields is being reined in when you see Herbert throwing the ball all over. And that's and like Herbert being able to do that was the difference to me in this game because Derek Carr is like a very serviceable quarterback, but who just cannot make a lot of those throws. He's just not he's not that dynamic. He's like he can be efficient at times. You know, we've we've uh, we always have these bursts, right? Like these three, four, five game 
spells where Derek Carr looks really good and people are like, oh, yeah, he's, he's finally getting it. He's putting it together. But, uh, like, it's just not something that he can sustain because he just does not have the arm talent to spread the ball all over the field. Uh, and he doesn't play that well under pressure, which uh, I guess the, the Chargers were sort of mocking him for uh, in, in postgame quotes. Uh, so, I, I mean, to me, this is like just a perfect example of like this is what separates a quarterback is really being able to make those throws. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's anecdotal, but I think what Joey Bosa said after the game on, uh, you know, after the game on Monday night kind of put it all into perspective where he was like, hey, like, if you can just hit him a few times, he's going to fold and he's going to crumble. Uh, and I, I – I hate to say that about like uh, someone who does like a much tougher job than than I do, <laughs> uh, you know, instead of like sitting around all day and, and typing <laughs> words. But you know, it, it's true. Like when you see Derek Carr like take a bunch of sacks and get quarterback hits, he's just not someone who's gonna you know stand tall uh, through the adversity. And you know, like it, it's weird because Carr like he does have some pretty good arm talent, but he just won't use it when it when. When you know the football game starts turning into a real football game, uh, which is got to be frustrating for Raiders fans, where if you're like, "Oh man, like he's he may not be Herbert, but he can make some of these throws." Uh, you know, he may not be Josh Allen, but he can make some of these throws. And the fact that he just won't do it when the game starts getting hard, it's just it, it's just weird to see. And like, I don't know what you do if you're the Raiders because it can get a lot worse from Derek Carr. Like it can right. get a lot worse, but also you, you kind of got to keep scratching the ceiling on what this can be. And, you know, if Derek Carr could just play like we saw him against the Ravens or, you know, against the Steelers where this is a guy who can make the throws that you need and not fold, then that's great. But if not, it's just kind of tough to, to power through. All right. All right. Sunday night game, Tampa 19, uh, New England 17, uh, big hubbub about this game, obviously going in Tom Brady returning. Uh, there was some neat moments there. Like apparently Belichick and Brady met for 20 minutes afterward, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but to me, like the story coming out of this game is the bucks found a way to win, right? Like they, uh, Belichick knew what Brady was good at, took a lot of it away. I mean, it was very clear that he knew what he was doing there and, uh, knew how to slow him down a little bit. Uh, but Tampa Bay finds a way. Their their secondary is just uh, like uh, you know they trotting out Richard Sherman, and he looked just awful. Looked like a guy who's not really got his legs under him, and those legs aren't that fast anyway anymore, um, even when they are under him. But found a way. Uh, the Mac Jones thing is sort of what I wanted to ask you about. There there was a lot of praise, and and you you gave him some praise in the forwards too. But I I guess I just wonder. Like, does he have another gear? This sort of looked like, oh, this is a very Mac Jones game. Like, he's he's dishing the ball around. He's making throws. But, like, he couldn't make the the throws to to, to push this game further. Like, he couldn't push the, the New England offense uh, in a game that may have been winnable. Like, what is his ceiling at this point? What do we think? Like, is this who he is? Like, a, this type of guy? Or is does he have an, another step? Uh, to take and make him a little bit more of a dynamic player. You know, it's tough because I, I think with Mac Jones, it's like you just got to take more chances, dude. Uh, I mean, the Patriots, it can't be this team where they're just living in like these, you know, eight, nine, ten, oh, yeah. eleven play drives where 
you're not picking up any explosives because it's just in this era of football, it's just too hard to win games that way. And I know that, you know, on the flip side, Brady didn't put together a good performance, but, you know, honestly, I didn't think that it was anything that Belichick was doing. Like he was just missing throws like throughout, especially in the early portion of the game. I mean, there are guys open. He's just sailing over the head of Antonio Brown and, you know, maybe he didn't have a great grip on the ball because, you know, it's monsoon and he's 44 years old and you're not really <laughs> doing these things at your, at your age. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I just feel like if you're Mac Jones and you get an off game from Tom Brady, you're going against right. a Bucks defense that was down two corners and then lost a third during the game. Richard Sherman's out there looking terrible. This has got to be a defense that you can score some points on. Uh, and I know they're missing Trent Brown at right tackle and Justin Huron, who's filled in for him, has not been good. Right. Uh, and they just don't have much talent in general. Yeah, they don't have that much Still talent. Not. Right. I feel like if you're a Patriots fan, you would like to see your first round pick overcome it to a degree. Uh, and I know, you know, you look at the final performance, you know, I think he went like, thir- what, 31 for 40 for 275, which right. on the surface without really thinking about it looks pretty decent for a rookie quarterback. But they're just dinking and dunking way too much. Uh, you know, you're, you're averaging nine, like barely, you know, 9.7 yards per completion that game. And you have two big completions from Jacoby Myers, who seems to be like a more efficient downfield thrower than your first round quarterback. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think there are two things that can be true about Mac Jones. Like you can be impressed with like the competency to come in, be able to run that offense, which, you right. know, as we've heard from guys like even Reggie Wayne, say that hey this offense is like wicked hard to to you know to come in and master in a short amount of time so i think you can be impressed with that and also just like generally his accuracy and ability to get the ball out fast but you can also be a little disappointed that he's not taking more chances down the field because you know like i said you don't want to be stuck in these long drives where you're just like getting like little chunks of yardage at a time at some point you're gonna have to be able to make a really big play and so far like i just feel like we haven't gotten there yet with him and you know he's he's still well like 22 23 years old so this is definitely someone who can like get in the weight room and and get a little bit stronger and add some more arm strength and maybe some deep ball ability but you know right now they just need too many things to go right for them on offense to to kind of get into the end zone and you know that's just not really what you want to see from someone that's going to be leading your franchise for the next you know 10 or so years right yeah that's where i am with with mag jones super impressed with how he's acclimated and how well he's done with a complicated offense and how proficient he is. But like, and he threw the ball deep at Alabama, but he was constantly throwing to to guys who were just overmatching the defense. So he was throwing to Heisman trophy winners or candidates, you know, like is cause that's, you you don't ever have that sort of offense in the NFL. You're not going to have, you know, so you got to be able to make more difficult throws and, that's the question is whether he can make those adjustments uh, as we go forward. All right. Uh, let's talk briefly, I guess. Not much to learn from this one. Green Bay 27, Pittsburgh 17. Uh, I mean, Ben Rossberger, like, why are the Steelers? I guess Mike Tomlin came out today and said both that Rossberger is hurting <laughs> and going to play through it and is the undisputed number one. Uh, and he's just like, he's, he's just broken. He's just the shell of himself. Oh, hold on. I cut out for a second there. What did you say? Uh, ben Rossberger, just terrible. Oh, man. Uh, terrible. Just, it's just another game where 
you just wonder, like, how did the Steelers put themselves into this situation coming to the season? And to me, you know, it, it's just like the, the Steelers, the Ben Roethlisberger situation is not just about Ben Roethlisberger. To me, to me, it's almost at like a broader level of just like how teams really suck at self scouting, right? When they've experienced some success, and, you know, for the for the Steelers, like last year they had like a, what eleven or twelve game winning streak, and even then. You know, me and Steven were saying last year during that, like, right, right. like this is not something that seems sustainable or even something that can get you a playoff win because you're just relying on so much defensive luck, uh, whether it's sacks, interceptions, turnovers to kind of overcome an offense that, that's barely producing on on a per play basis. So uh, that's that that's been something that has kind of carried over to this year. And now this year, as we've seen in the past, you know, it's kind of hard to rely on like elite defenses to stay elite year to year to year. I know you can still have years, but you know, uh, unless you're pulling off like what uh, the Broncos did, you know, towards the end of the Peyton Manning regime or what the Seahawks did uh, when the Legion of Boom was big, you're really not going to have too many years where you're just stacking elite defenses on top of each other. I mean, we saw uh, that Jacksonville defense disintegrate pretty quickly. Uh, you know, we've seen even the Ravens defense not be what it was last year, uh, this year. So you, you you still got to lean on your offense. And the fact that they have kind of come back with this exact same supporting cast with a, a quarterback who's even older than he was last year is not giving his receivers like any chance to do anything on the ball. I mean, right. you have another fourth down calamity this week where a week ago, you know, you have Najee Harris catching the ball a million yards deep in the backfield and getting crushed on fourth down. And then this week, you know, you get the Juju Smith-Schuster meme where he's, you know, two, three yards away from the first down marker trying to reach for it because Ben has put him in a situation where he's getting chased by two defenders and catching the ball at the line of scrimmage on fourth and five. I mean, you're putting these guys in unwinnable situations. And I I just would love to get an answer from the Steelers on why they – keep continuing to stick with this when you know it's not good enough to get you anywhere. Right. And, you know, a big part of the problem, too, is that, like, Ben Rosberger is still pretending to be, like, end-all, be-all Mr. Captain guy. Like, after the game, he said, what a challenge for us. I think this is going to test us all. We need to look in the mirror and figure out what path we want to take. Like, that's a tough guy. If you're in that locker room and, like, I'm not sure that you're looking to this guy to lead you at this point considering how much he's struggling himself. Like this is, it's pretty clear to anyone who's watched football uh, over the last, you know, now season plus four games that, that Ben Roethlisberger just doesn't have it. Like it's not there for him to give. So uh, uh, like him pretending that, that this is all some choice and some gut check uh, like pro football players know that that's not what's happening here. It's, it's a totally different story. Uh, so I, I don't see how this one is going to end, but, uh, I probably not in, not, not great for anyone who's a Steelers fan. I would say green Bay. Meanwhile, you know, like green Bay has it made, right? Like their, <laughs> their division is sort of a mess. Like as long as they can kind of, they seem to be back mostly on track, but they have time to, to work it out even further. You know, it just feels like. With with Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback, they they have that that path ahead of them. Uh, Baltimore twenty three, Denver seven. Were you mad about uh, Were you mad about the Ravens running? On the I was mad that 
that Fangio was mad about it. That's what I was upset about. Like, dude. I, and Harbaugh got him so good. Yeah, he, he sure did. He, he zinged him in the post-game press conference because, you know, at the end of the game, they're down 23 to 7. There's 30 seconds left on the clock. I mean, it's over. Unless you're unless you have like Atlanta Falcons level of luck, you <laughs> you've got this game in the bag. And Fangio is, you know, throwing yeah, make, making us watch Drew Locke throw the ball. Right, right. Don't do that to us. Calling timeouts under, underneath 30 seconds left. Don't and then he wants to get up here and talk about player safety. Oh, oh <laughs> okay, big guy. I mean, and then the Ravens, like, yeah. Is it unusual to see a team, you know, run the ball in the last play of the game just to keep the streak going? But, you know, I, I honestly, from the Ravens' perspective, like, Dude, you're at 42 games of 100 straight yard rushers, and you're two yards away from, or two games right. away from breaking that record. Why? Let's just go for it. Like we've put a lot of hard work into this, and you know, it, it was a final what three or four yard run by Lamar Jackson where nobody got hurt. He kept right. the streak running. All the player, all the Ravens players, you know, even freaking Hollywood Brown, who weighs like 170 pounds after the game, was like, "This is a record that's like even important to me, even though he has that much." To do. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so for for Fangio to get upset about that was pretty fucking, uh, pretty excuse me, pretty lame. Uh, and you know, I, I just love that Harbaugh got him back, but he was like, you know, I'm I'm unaware of a 16 point play <laughs> in football, so you know, I don't really know what they were doing trying to win the game at the end there because he's absolutely right. Like, if Fangio really cared about player safety, like you would have just run the ball out a couple times and ended the game. But no, you had to go and try to prove a point to I don't know who, but. Uh, yeah, that that's really the only notable takeaway from the game. Uh, yeah, well, the, Raven, the Ravens threw the ball pretty well. I mean, I yeah, thought that they, was they did. They uh, did. Uh, uh, yeah, Lamar was uh, twenty-two for thirty-seven, three sixteen. Uh, you know, it's just like they figured it's it out because the running the running back thing is not like they bringing in all the old dudes who were like who you wanted to draft in fantasy seven years ago or whatever. Like Latavius Murray went for uh, 3.3 yards per carry. Le'Veon Bell, 2.8. And Devonta Freeman only carried once and gained four yards. So, like, they are not the, – the, the Ravens off uh, running game is in trouble. Like, obviously, it yeah. really centers around Lamar. But uh, – so they need to open this up. And they did not get Rashad Bateman back yet. He, he practiced a little bit last week but didn't play. Uh, Marquise Brown actually caught the ball this week, which is – a good sign, but uh, yeah, it was... it, it's tough. I mean, and on the flip side, I think we all can see that the Broncos did not make the wrong decision by going with uh, <laughs> Terry Bridgewater. And I know yeah. Teddy didn't do much in this game before he got out, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, Ra- the Ravens, the bl- the Ravens were really after him, and that like, it, it, yeah, I think it's the first it, it's time where tough. we saw, yeah, they really it's got tough. him moving, and it was not not working. Yeah, Which, I'm. I'm just happy that you know, Lamar just he just keeps putting together these good games. Uh, even when, like like this week, the running game wasn't working, and he just still just torch him through the air. I mean, you're not going to find too many quarterbacks that are going to throw for you know 8.5 yards per attempt on this Denver Broncos defense. Like, I think that might even be an outlier performance for them. But right. hey, like the, the the guy's really good, and I just. It's important to me that people just keep remembering like how good this kid is. He's only 24 years old, uh, and you know whatever contract that the Ravens give him is going to be well worth the money because, again, like against a top defense like this, when the running game's not working, like he can still pull you out of it and, and put up enough points to comfortably win. So right, because it's not even like 
Right. It's not even like he was finding a bunch of like Denver was very clearly keying on him. But I think he he only ran seven times for twenty eight yards. So it's you know right. like, they really took it away and he beat he beat him a different way. You know, like he proved he could do that. Uh let's talk about the first of these interesting NFC West games. Seattle edges out San Fran twenty eight twenty one. Uh man, Jimmy G is is not good <laughs> and he's now injured. And does not look like the 49ers have transitioned to where they're comfortable with Trey Lance. Where does this go from here at this point? I mean, I don't really know what Kyle Shan is doing here because, you know, I think that you can, you can, you can believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is the better option right now, I guess. But you know, you still you traded so much to get Trey Lance, you know. Right. At some point, you just have to pull the plug, and you know, I, maybe maybe Trey Lance like really isn't ready. But I'm someone that kind of prescribes to the belief that you get better by playing football. So maybe Trey Lance just gets in there and, and starts to figure it out, and you you kick this error off the ground now because I, I just don't. I, I feel pretty comfortable in, in saying that what we've seen from Jimmy Garoppolo so far is not enough to lead you to where you want to go, uh, and. It's just kind of time to get this thing moving and move on to, uh, you know, your third round running or your your third overall pick that you basically just used as a little bit of a running back before Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Uh, and it's time to see what he can do out there. I I really don't understand what they're waiting for on this. I don't really think you gain a whole lot by keeping Jimmy Garoppolo there for the whole season because here's another thing that I, I've been thinking if. If Trey Lance can't go do like basically the, the same thing that Jimmy's been doing as a passer, which is basically just hit the easy stuff that Shanahan right. brought up for you, you know that's that's a red flag. But you kind of need to figure that out now before you dig yourself in too much of a hole like two or three years from now. Yeah, uh, the Seahawks. Uh, I, I you know not really sure what's going on here. Like uh, just been a week to week thing. Uh, they. They actually get the Rams on Thursday night this week, which uh, should be a really good game. The Rams coming off a loss to the Cardinals uh, should just be really fantastic. I, Seattle's defense, like the secondary, is bad. You can, I think, you can see Stafford ripping them apart. Uh, so I, I'm not really sure what we have here with the Seahawks. Uh, I don't know either. I mean, and I feel like this is kind of how I feel like almost every year with the Seahawks. Like, I don't. What is this team? And then. You look out- <laughs> And they're ten and five, and you're trying to right. figure out where the hell they won ten games at. But right. uh, you know, Russell Russell was like kind of off in the first half of this game, got it together, uh, but they didn't really have the explosive plays that you're kind of gotten used to. Where it just seems like there's like four or five plays a game right. where they're just raining on your head and you can't get anything going. Uh, so you know, I, I guess for me, the Seahawks kind of a lazy cop answer, but TBD because. Right. Uh, you know, they still gave up a lot of, like, explosive plays on the flip side for the 49ers side, and they didn't generate too many themselves. But uh, this is an offense that we know can just make it rain with explosive plays. And right, right. Like, this happens. this time last year, it was just, like, every weekend there were, like, four DK Metcalf catches. And I feel like there hasn't been one huge highlight, like, from this offense this year yet. And it's just, like, you know that it's going to happen – at some point, but uh, the consistency is somewhat in question. Uh, the Cardinals, 37, Rams, 20. Arizona, the only 4-0 team. 
pretty much the number one team in most people's power rankings. I think at this point, this is this is a real yeah. thing that's happening. I was kind of surprised at this uh, performance. Not the fact that they won, but the fact that they just kind of kicked the Rams' butt. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, after the first quarter, <laughs> at no point was this really a close game. Uh, the Cardinals won it, you know, pretty easily. Uh, I think they were up by like, you know like 34 to 13 at the end of the third quarter. Uh, and then they, you know, the Rams got a little garbage time touchdown, but you know, for me, this isn't about the Rams. Cause I'm not really concerned about right. what they do over the rest of the season. To me, it's just like, Oh man, like this Cardinals seem better than I thought and they can play with anybody. And right now Kyler is just playing unbelievable football. Uh, I mean, I really can't think of anybody in the league that's matching like his consistent level of playmaking now. And, and to me, the play that just kind of brings it all together was uh, the third and 16 scramble that he had where, you know, he's looking for someone and then he sees a lane and he's like, screw it. I'm going for it. And a third and 16 scramble against any defense, but especially one that's good like the Rams. I mean, that's a tough play to pull off. And he got like 18 yards in the scramble. I think they scored a couple plays later. And it's not just like the, the running prowess. It's just him being able to um, uh, to hit guys accurately on the field in the end zone. I mean, the throw to Max Williams was crazy. Right. Well, getting the ball in his hands and giving him a chance to protect himself. I mean, he looks so just on point with everything right now. And, you know, it, it, I wasn't this high coming into the Cardinals. I wasn't this high on the Cardinals coming into the season, but they've certainly proved me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm in the same boat as you with the Rams, not where it like just sort of <laughs> just didn't seem like it was their night. Like we know they're going to be good other weeks. Uh, like I wouldn't be surprised to see them beat the Seahawks uh, pretty soundly on Thursday. So I think we know that they're in that upper echelon uh, and just sort of ran into the hottest team so far uh, this season in this game jets 27 tennessee 24 we talked a little about this with uh wilson and man the the titans are like obviously they had a bunch of injuries here but uh just a little bit of a mess man just i I don't know i don't yeah look you lost to the jets that's bad (laughs) I i don't i don't care who you have or don't have out there it's bad you know i think the most interesting thing to me is I don't know how much is talked about, but like Ryan Tannehill is quietly a quarterback that takes a ton of sacks. Uh, he had seven yeah. this week, and I, you know, even in the years prior where Tannehill was just putting up these gaudy numbers, like he was still a quarterback that was taking a lot of sacks. And maybe he's just one of those guys where you have to deal with the trade off. But when the, the the good side of the trade off is not there, uh, it can be kind of hard for him to move the ball, and you end up with these. Uh, like this one man Derrick Henry show, which hey, it can keep it close a lot of weeks, but you still need uh, a little bit more to get past even teams like the Jets. So, you know, we talked about it earlier, but you know, it's uh, it's it's fortunate for the Titans that their upcoming opponent has just wasted like half the week of game planning prep <laughs> with you know a coach that can't get it together. But uh, yeah, I, I I guess I'd be alarmed in the sense that man. You know, we can't find a way to beat the bad teams when we don't have Julio and AJ, but Julio Jones and no AJ Brown is a, a, a big loss as Falcons have seen this year. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, speaking of the Falcons, the football team beat them 34-30. I, let's, we don't have to do this game. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's nothing to say. That, that was no. peak Falcons. You, you played well until you didn't. You lost the game. Yeah. The Giants, on the other hand, beat the Saints 27-21. And Daniel Jones is good now, right? 
Look, he he's had the. It's weird because coming into the season, I was like, "There's so many pieces that like it's on Daniel Jones just to be competent." And now, like almost the flip side of having more than like, competent, right? Yeah. Like where he's been good, and they still right. can't get too much offense going. But I mean, they finally right. got it this week. Yeah, uh, Saquon got going. Kadarius Tony got going. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, Daniel Jones, four hundred yards, ten yards per attempt. I mean, he torched them. Uh, and then you have even, you know, John Ross making big plays in the John Ross throw. Oh my God. was so right. good, uh, deep down the field. And, you know, it's just kind of crazy that in a year where Daniel Jones figures it out and starts looking like the franchise quarterback that the Giants drafting to be, everything else is bad around him, but you know, they finally showed some life against, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty good team in, in the saints and, uh, you know, maybe the Giants aren't quite as bad, or maybe it's their coach who was just dragging him into the muck, like, uh, <laughs> like, like we like we've seen. Uh, the Saints, meanwhile, like I don't know if they're waiting for Michael Thomas to come back, but they have to unleash the Jameis man. Like you cannot, uh, like obviously they've been trying to limit his number of throws uh, because he's going to make mistakes. But like at this point, they're also just not giving themselves enough chance to make big plays like they're just not uh, they don't have the formula to to play like that. they don't have the, the players like to to follow this formula right now so uh kind of need to open it up at some point and maybe that's when they're a little bit healthier uh cowboys 36 panthers 28 that vaunted defense you know like i don't know carolina stood in dak's just playing really well man he's yeah good this is turns, a tough matchup. Turns out Dak Prescott is good. <laughs> yeah, Dak is uh, insanely good. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the the I think the Cowboys, they also had the perfect personnel to just kind of beat up on uh, this Panthers team where, you know, they like to live in, you know, a lot of nickel sets and dime sets and blitz the hell out of you and play man coverage on the back end. So right. Dallas was like, all right, well, we got two good tight ends. We got a gigantic offensive line that has, you know, two pro bowlers on it and probably two future Hall of Famers on it. And we got a really good running back, two really good running backs, actually. So let's just lean on you and beat him down. So, you know, I think when you look at the final uh, run passing splits, Dak Prescott threw the ball 22 times. He was sacked zero times. Uh, and the Cowboys ran the ball 34 times for 245 yards and a touchdown, 7.2 yards per carry. Uh, and I think, you know, even Dak Prescott got them running with a little bit because he hasn't done much in anything, uh, understandably, since he – uh, you know, broke his leg in, in the running rushing department. He, he he got involved with four carries for 35 yards. So this was like a really complete game from the Cowboys offense. And I think that if you ask Mike McCarthy how he would like to win, I think this is uh, one of his most favorite ways. You know, just we're going to pound the rock. We're going to set up easy completions and touchdowns for our quarterback. And we're going to get away with this. And I think on the Panthers side, you know, you got up to a good start, but they're just, you know, a, a, a step below, maybe another offseason away from being one of these teams that competes with, like, the elite offenses in the league. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just pulling up something on my computer here. Uh, oh, man. Next is uh, Buffalo 40, Houston 0. I feel like we talked about all we need. To yeah, we, we, we've done I mean, nothing learned here about the Bills, really. I mean, uh like you said, Josh Allen <laughs> was fine most of the game, but he did throw that terrible interception. Uh, you know, I think we, we still got a lot to learn about this Bills team, and the Texans are the Texans. Uh, the Bears 
beat the Lions 24-14. Uh, game plan was a little bit better. I guess I guess Nagy turned some of it over to his offense coordinator. It was very unclear. He was asked about it and sort of gave this elongated answer that made it hard to track who did what, but it looked like it was a little bit more tailored to what Justin Fields could do, which is a promising sign. Yeah, uh, you just kind of unleashed him, and people people will go on and say, oh, it's the Lions, but you just watch the throws that he's making. Like, tight window throws are tight window throws. Even bad NFL defenders will be in good position, but, you know, it, it's just hard to stop the perfect throw, and I, I just can't stop thinking about the throw to Allen Robinson on the sideline, and then beyond that, the fact that Matt Nagy still said that Andy Dalton will be the starter. I just, you know, we yeah, talked about it makes- earlier, but – that, to me, is the big takeaway from this game, that you can right. put that together a performance like that, be so talented and show off all your ability and then, you know, still not have a, a big vote of confidence behind you at the end. Uh, it's just – it's kind of bizarre, but I think, you know, it's good for Bears fans to see, like, the high-level stuff that Justin Fields can do because we obviously didn't see it uh, against the Browns in, in his first start. And then when, he, when they played the Bengals and Andy got hurt – uh, his receivers squandered a few opportunities for him. So, you know, they everyone was on the same page. It was nice to see uh, him clicking. Really didn't have, like, too many bad plays outside of, like, the 24-yard the sack, which just ended up being a weird play on on, on their part. And, you know, you, you got the dub. So you, you haven't looked all that impressive, but you're sitting 2-2, two and two, which I feel is kind of like the defining trait of the Matt Nagy era. I haven't looked all that good, <laughs> but, hey, you're still in the mix somehow. <laughs> 500 that's you buddy you're just yep. you're just always 500 right there uh uh cleveland 14 minnesota 7 the the browns uh mike zimmered the vikings man i mean stefanski obviously coached there before but just sort of a real controlled game ran the ball uh defense was great kirk cousins was was bad kirk cousins uh, this Cleveland team, though, like the defense is looking pretty legit. They, they sort of redid the secondary, added some people back there, and it's it appears to be working out. And Miles Garrett is just a, a monster. Yeah, th- this is a Browns team that's winning games that we haven't seen in a way you know before, right. where they, they're winning with defense over the past couple of weeks. Because honestly, even in that game against the Browns, it's not like Baker looked all impressive. And then yesterday against. Uh, Against the Vikings, like he just looked straight up bad. I mean, you, you right, had right. the 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 really bad play at the end of the game where Odell was wide open for a touchdown and Baker like barely didn't even get close to hitting him in stride and he fell over. Uh, for some reason, that duo was not working out. But you know, you're winning games by getting while getting subpar quarterback play right now, which is to me like one of the signs of a good team because we know that there are going to be games when uh, Baker is on and they're probably just going to torture whoever they play that week. But you know. It's like a, it's like two sided where you're happy that they can win an ugly game like this, but also a little bit alarmed that Baker is not playing as well as you would hoped uh, to start the season. And you know they they get a game next week against the Chargers, which is going to be definitely fun to watch. But hopefully, you know, you know, you get a little bit more production out of Baker because you don't want to be in a situation where you're relying on run game and defense to keep you down against some of the more explosive offenses. Uh, in the league, and you know, when you play against Lamar Jackson, that might be a little bit tough if, if Baker's not up to up to task. Yeah, Colts twenty seven, uh, Dolphins seventeen. Felt like the Colts realized that they were playing Jacoby Brissett and <laughs> just ran the ball and kind of kept this game in front of them. Uh, you know, they Colts have Monday night at Baltimore. 
Uh, you know, if there's anything to learn about that team, I think we'll learn it then. Uh, you know, this game was whatever. It's, yeah. Car- the fact that they're still trotting Carson Wentz out. Uh, that's, I mean, yeah. What, know, what are you going to do? Uh, get, well, I know. Give, I'm, your, I'm, give your first round pick to the Eagles. That's what you're right, going to do. Right. I, I don't understand, like, why they're doing this is what I meant to say. Uh, yeah. Dude, like, if you just look at the, the, the tankathon.com, uh, where they have, like, an updated NFL draft where basically is every. <laughs> Every game ends. Right now, the Colts will be sending over the sixth overall pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I guess if we're staying related to this game, the Dolphins are sending their first-round pick to the Eagles, which right now is fourth overall. Uh, so, you know, if, if the draft ended today or if the season ended today, you know, the Eagles have two top six picks to go nice. along with the ninth pick in the draft. <laughs> That's a lot of ammo to rebuild and reload your team. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess really my only take on this game is, you know, you got your first win of the season, but at what point do you just shut it down and say, hey, we're, we're not getting what we need to here. Right. We can't really afford to give up a first-round pick, and we don't want to deal with the stipulations. Yeah. I mean, it's 75% of the snaps, right? So the decision's basically got to be – I mean, you can wait till week 12 or whatever and uh, be pretty safe in it, I guess. So, oh, man, we're going to have to keep watching the Carson Wentz show. Exciting. Uh, Kansas City, 42. Philly, 30. Uh, I, you know, the Chiefs got one back. Like, they feel like they were a little bit – I mean, obviously, like, the Eagles offense is not super challenging, and Jalen Hurts actually looked pretty good. The Chiefs still clearly need to fix their defense. And that's the story with that team, I think. It's just, are they going to be able to figure out either with what they have or add to what they have to make this defense work? Uh, you know, they'll get Frank Clark back soon, I guess. And I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really know if they have anything in the immediate future that can fix their defense because it's not like Frank Clark has been someone that's mattered since they traded for him. Right. Right. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just going to come down to hero ball from Patrick Mahomes and honestly <laughs> – there have been worse strategies that we yeah, have seen. So, you know, I mean, the, Mahomes is so good that he threw five touchdowns this week, and everyone just like, okay. <laughs> he, he had he even had the other one throw. It was like, all right, we yeah, he threw. Up. They like all of them were different. Like, I mean, he he used a different arm slot for every throw. Like, yeah, I mean, he's, and he's, we've gotten so accustomed to it that we're just kind of breezing over it. But look, forty-two points. Absolutely dominate the Eagles' defense. I like, obviously the, the Chiefs like they have their own serious concerns on their own defense, but I think this week is a reminder that even with the worst defense in the NFL, you still got to figure out a way to to outscore Patrick Mahomes, which is really difficult to do. Uh, Cincinnati twenty four, Jacksonville twenty one in that Thursday night game that uh, that led to Urban Meyer's fun four way. For four a, I don't know if it was a four. Yeah, I don't know if you got that far. I don't, you know, just four uh, a into the bar in Ohio. Uh, are the Bengals a, a playoff team? Are, are they a playoff contender? Hey, well, I mean, I, I guess at this point we gotta think about them as someone that can wow. get that far, which I still am like kind of shocked by. I mean, the, but the thing with the Bengals is like they don't, they haven't looked like an overwhelming playoff team, but hey, it's just more about if you can win these games and get going. Uh, so, you know, they went to overtime against a Vikings team that doesn't look very good right now to start the season. They lost to the Bears week two, beat the Steelers, which most teams should be able to do. Uh, and then, you know, they, they had to squeak out the winning against Jacksonville. So 
Look, I don't want to sit here and hate on them because Bengals fans will camp in my mentions and make it hard for me to read the actual funny stuff on Twitter that people tweet at me. Uh, so I'll say, you know, good job, Bengals. Uh, I've actually enjoyed watching the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase show because it's fun to watch big plays. But uh, I, I think that this week against the Packers, if they can hold that offense in the check, then I'll be like, okay, like this Bengals offense might be, or Bengals defense might be for real. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll actually have to give Zach Taylor some respect, but until then, I'm not sold yet. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't tend to look at the standings too much early in the season, just because there's just so much noise, right? And what you're looking at, it's not. It's not very telling. But if I had said to you that after four weeks there would be two teams in the AFC that are two and two, only two teams are are after four games are two and two, and one of them is the Chiefs and they are in last place in the division, and then one of them is the Titans and they are in first place in their division. Like there's it's it's a little bit there's some weird stuff going on in the American Football Conference this year uh, that. Will make make it fun for us to watch. I want to I want to close out by asking you, who are your three teams from each conference that you think have the best shot at making it to the Super Bowl? Okay, so, sort of looking out ahead, extrapolating like where you think the season's going to go right now. If you had to lay money on on three teams from each conference, man, NFC uh, NFC is tough because I feel like there's a lot of good teams, but. I'll go Rams because I'm I'm still totally in on the staff yeah. and McVay experience. Uh, I think they just you know caught a Cardinal team that's playing really well. Uh, man, this is where it gets tough because I don't want to leave the Cardinals off, but I also just don't believe in Cliff as much as I used to. Right. Uh, so you know, because I, I just feel like a lot of this is still Kyler playing street ball. But you know, if he's going to play at this level, I'll go Cardinals, and then on, for my third team, I'll go Dallas because. I'm still not totally sold on this Packers defense. Uh, their front is not playing well right now, and I don't think that Joe Barry has given them a ton to work with on the other end. Uh, J.R. Alexander being hurt for a bit is going to hurt them. Uh, so I think I'll go with Rams, Cardinals, Cowboys as my three NFC. You, you kicked the Bucks out, man. That's like Tom Brady's going to use this as fuel. You know that. Maybe he, gonna... he didn't look that good against the uh-huh. Patriots, and, and, and really it's more a statement about how banged up their defense is. I mean, yeah. True. You know, you're you're at a spot where you know you're calling Richard Sherman on a Wednesday and he's starting for you on Sunday night. Uh, I I just find it hard for me to believe that this defense can kind of stay together enough to get to the Super Bowl. But who knows? I, I'm just Tom Brady, and he's got a rabbit's foot like sewn over his heart. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, and then on the AFC side, uh, obviously the Chiefs uh, because you know. They are the Chiefs. Uh, the Bills, to me, look like me just combine the offense and defense, potentially the best team in football. Uh, and then, you know, maybe maybe I want to go Ravens, but I, I think they're just too banged up. So uh, I'll go Chargers. Just, you know, take, trust Justin Fields maybe to get you to the promised land. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't seem to be the worst strategy. But just when you look at the AFC versus the NFC, I feel like the NFC looks so much stronger as a whole. Uh, than the than the than the AFC because you know you're, you're getting a little bit better quarterback play and then I don't think there's any division in the AFC that rivals the NFC West. We'll uh, we'll come back to this in five weeks and everything will have changed because that's, that's how right. NFL works, man. That's that's what makes it fun. All right, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, find us on. 
Twitter. He's at Forverts. I'm at Chris Corman. Read for the win, FTW at USAToday.com. We'll be back Thursday doing some picks, uh, talking about who's going to replace Urban Meyer, maybe. I don't know. Uh, who knows what'll come out in the next few days. But uh, join us then. Thanks for being here today and take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.